Please pray with me. God of grace and glory, you fling the stars into the heavens, you see every sparrow fall. Deepen our trust in the mystery of your power shining through Christ Jesus and your Holy Spirit, that we may live your love for the world. Amen. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about birds. Our backyard leads onto a wooded area along the Menominee River Parkway, and my feeders are always busy. One afternoon, I counted 15 species in the course of about 10 minutes. Uh, recently, I have hollered to my family that there was a rose-breasted grosbeak at the feeder, which Peter dubbed the most dorky thing you have ever said. And that is actually saying a lot, because I say a lot of dorky things. And yet, to be honest, my family thought that was pretty cool, too. Several days ago, I caught a fleeting glimpse of an indigo bunting, a brilliantly blue iridescent bird that comes to Wisconsin seasonally to breed. I don't know much about these birds, so I googled, of course, and I read this fact. Indigo buntings migrate at night, using the stars for guidance. Researchers demonstrated this process in the late 1960s by studying captive indigo buntings in a planetarium and then under the natural night sky. The birds possess an internal clock that enables them to continually adjust their angle of orientation to a star, even as that star moves through the night sky. I mean, isn't that so cool? I don't even really care if it's dorky. I think it's super amazing. I imagine this bird, which spends its winters in Central America, responding to the internal clock of the seasons changing, navigating by the night stars to fly north, to Wisconsin, where it might even make a stop at my feeder. I remember the wonder that I had as a child and that I experienced through my children when the world was unexpected and exciting with every step. It's sometimes hard to find that wonder in our grown-up, jaded world, but imagining those birds making amazing transcontinental flights, that makes my heart sing. Paul says it in our reading from Acts, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. In part, maybe because God lives in the birds of the air, in the sunshine on our faces, in the budding leaves of the trees. And here's another wondrous thing. God lives in and around us, too. We just heard the idea that God lives in and with us introduced in our scripture reading from John. To put this scripture in context, we have to go back a few weeks. This is Monday Thursday, the night before Jesus is crucified. He has washed his disciples' feet. He has sent Judas out to do the work that starts the whole weekend's events in motion. And now, Jesus is sitting with his friends around a table, talking. The disciples ask him many questions, as the disciples are always doing. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Show us the Father, so we may understand. Why can't we go with you? Why are you only telling us these things and not the whole world? They are anxious, uncertain, unsettled. This is not how they thought things would go. Even though Jesus has been telling them this all along, they haven't gotten it, and they haven't really believed. Jesus, of course, understands this, because Jesus understood humans. And he answers them, a part of his answer being our text from today. 
This response by Jesus is often called the farewell discourse of Jesus because he's saying goodbye to his followers. And for the first time, they seem to understand that the next few days will be painful and that their leader may die. I can imagine what these disciples felt because I have known what it was like to lose someone who played an important role in my life. I imagine that many of you understand that too. If you've lost someone who was a mentor, friend, or parent to you, you know that those losses can shake you and leave you uncertain about how the future will look different after that person is gone. And sometimes we don't know how we're going to live up to their example. I wonder if in this moment were those disciples asking those same questions. How do we keep Jesus' teachings, keep our faith, and keep working when Jesus is no longer walking alongside us? And Jesus responds to their questions with the passage we read today. In it, he's comforting to them. And Jesus is also comforting us. You will not be left alone. You will not be abandoned. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. One thing as I was reading this passage in preparation for today, it struck me was that the spirit is given a male pronoun here. In other books of the Bible, the word spirit is given female pronouns. So why are they not consistent when referring to the same spirit of the Trinity? So allow me a little dorky language talk for a second, and any Bible scholars in the audience are feel free to correct me later during the response time. The word spirit here in the original Greek is pneuma. Many languages have gendered nouns, which is not something we have in English. So for example, in Spanish, which is my second language, a bridge is el puente. It's masculine, just by nature of the noun. A library is la biblioteca, feminine. Neither a bridge or a library is gendered, like we consider people or animals to be, but the words themselves are labeled with a gender. In Hebrew, which is the language most of the Old Testament was written in, spirit is ruach, which is a feminine noun. In this passage that we read today, though, the word was pneuma, because it was originally written in Greek. What's interesting about the Greek language is that it has feminine and masculine nouns, just like Spanish or French or many other languages, but it also has a neuter noun, which is neither, which the word pneuma is. Really, when we translate this Greek word into English, either pronoun would work. She is just as legitimate as he, and you could also use they, them. The important point here is just because the noun is gendered doesn't mean that the spirit is. The spirit defies gender, just as it defies a one-word description like advocate. The word advocate that we had translated today in the original Greek is parakletos, which is a challenge to translate into English because that word had many varied meanings. Some people in their translation simply leave it as paraclete, which is a word that makes us stop and wonder at what that might mean. In various translations, the English word is given as advocate, comforter, helper, friend, counselor, companion. The mystery is that it is all of these things. The spirit, which is beyond the confines of gender, 
beyond the confines of a one-word definition, will be with us forever. This is Jesus' promise. What does this mean to the disciples? And what does it mean to us now? I wonder how the disciples felt when Jesus told them that this paraclete, this advocate, would be with them forever. Were they comforted? Still unsure? Worried for what the next few days would bring? Because what John makes clear is that the spirit, the paraclete, the advocate, is not the paraclete, but another paraclete. Jesus was the first. While Jesus was here on earth, the spirit was limited to his body, his ministry, his footsteps in the world. But when Jesus left the earth, his paraclete came to all his disciples, everyone who was in that room on that Monday, Thursday. All who they taught and made believers received the paraclete too for thousands of years. The spirit even comes to us, is here as our comforter, our friend, and our advocate. The spirit will be with us always. Unlike the disciples who sat around that table asking questions on the night before Jesus was killed, we have never seen Jesus. We experience him through prayer, scripture, fellowship, and by the movement of, of the spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, which is always with us. How have you felt the spirit moving? In what ways do you think the spirit has gone unnoticed? And what would help you to be more present to the movement of the spirit? For me, I see the spirit when I do the really hard work of being fully present. When I walk in the woods, when I tickle a baby belly, when I sit with friends having hard conversations about things that we care about, when we challenge each other while being compassionate, when I imagine a small bird orienting itself to a star, flinging itself bravely into the night sky. Make no mistake, the spirit is moving here. The spirit is moving now. She is always among us. He is our companion, advocate, and friend. They will never, ever leave us. Thanks be to God. <laughs>